the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Wednesday, June the 7th, 2023, in the year of our Lord. On June 7, 1965, the U.S. Supreme Court in Griswold versus Connecticut, it struck down 7 to 2, a Connecticut law used to prosecute Planned Parenthood Clinic in New Haven. They had provided contraceptives to married couples. Today in 1712, Pennsylvania's Colonial Assembly voted to ban the further importation of enslaved people. That was today, 1712. Maybe America isn't the racist country that the left tries to make us believe we are. 1712. Today, in 1776, Richard Henry Lee of Virginia offered a resolution to the Continental Congress stating, quote, that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. Today, in 1929, the sovereign state of Vatican City came into existence. Today, in 1942, the Battle of Midway ended in a decisive victory for the American naval forces they defeated, soundly defeated, Imperial Japan. That marked a turning point in the Pacific War. Today, in 1981, Israeli military planes destroyed a nuclear power plant in Iraq. It's a facility the Israelis said could have been used to make nuclear weapons. Iraq, of course, said, oh no, we promise we would never do that. Ten years ago today, President Barack Obama vigorously defended the government's just-disclosed collection of massive amounts of information from phone and Internet records as a necessary defense against terrorism and assured Americans, but I mentioned this yesterday. They found out about it yesterday. The, the public did. We found out about it yesterday, 10 years ago. But today, Obama came out and he emphatically said, I promise nobody is listening to your telephone calls. And everybody sighed a deep sigh of relief. If he says they're not, we know they're not listening, don't we? Seattle has become a profile of leftist ideology. Portland has too. Both cities are kind of at least siblings in their struggles. The Seattle City Council has rejected Council Bill 125.86. That's the number of the bill isn't important, but what it represents is not encouraging. That would have empowered the city attorney to prosecute drug possession in public in public use. The City Council voted five to four in favor of rejecting the bill. Without it, King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office will have the sole authority to prosecute drug-related crimes, which they're not doing. 
The Downtown Seattle Association, DSA, they provided Como News a statement regarding the city council vote. Here's what the real people had to say that are still downtown. Seattle drug crisis is a public health emergency that is worsening by the day and one that demands urgent action. We see this emergency and its impacts daily in downtown. Allowing these conditions to persist is inhumane and unacceptable both for those in the throes of debilitating and life-threatening addiction and members of the public who are exposed to toxic fumes on our streets, in our parks, and on our public transit systems. Our ambassador teams have been on the front lines of this epidemic administering Narcan to 117 individuals since October of 2022, including 91 people already this year. Do you think the left will ever learn? Maybe the, the just the general public will ever learn that affirming and aiding and facilitating drug addiction and all other kinds of struggles and difficulties, lawlessness, and all of it. Do you think they'll ever learn that it's because of the, the leftist ideology that they keep electing to office? When they reach these kinds of, this level, like Seattle, downtown Seattle, and Portland, and there are other cities around the country, San Francisco and others, why do they keep electing people who hold the ideas and the ideology that got them to this point and believe there's going to be some kind of a different and better outcome. It never is. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And the policies that are put forward from the leftist people, it doesn't matter who they are, whether it's a man or a woman or whether it's black or white or, or pan-Asian. I mean, it doesn't matter. If they hold those ideologies, the result's going to be the same. You're going to have human excrement all over the sidewalks. Nobody wants to go downtown. They can't go downtown. They might get shot or mugged if they go downtown. These business guys are pleading for their lives. And yet probably some of them have voted for the kinds of leftist leadership that's now in the city. And again, that's not just Seattle, but it certainly is. But it's Portland and San Francisco and some in the east. When are they going to learn? The statement also referenced the business association, guys. The statement also referenced a poll that indicated that 77% of voters agreed with the statement that Seattle's hands-off approach to people using illegal drugs in public is contributing to rampant street crime and is making it much harder for downtown to recover. I would say that's an understatement. It's true, but it's an understatement. Boy, I t- maybe I'm just a simple man, but if, if the policies that these people keep putting forward are getting us to these, this kind of a situation, and they are, why won't they give conservatives a chance? Give us a shot. I mean, how much worse could we make it? Just give us a chance. Let somebody that's got a, a lick of sense of common sense, get elected to office. Maybe they would fix it. But that seems to be the breaking point. The left, the left 
groans and moans and gnashes their teeth about all this stuff that's going on, and they said all we need is $80 billion more dollars or whatever. And they flush that down the tube, and a year later, two years later, having the same conversation. Nothing changes. Because it's all a matter about what we believe. The principles that we stand on. Are they blowing in the wind like a weed? Yes. The leftist policies are blowing in the wind like a weed. They need to be pulled up and discarded. The ideas. If the left would just take a break, just give a conservative, qualified conservative, a chance. I know they could help and fix the Seattles and the Portlands and the San Francisco's. I know they could, but they won't be given a chance because they keep electing these crazy far-left leaders who just do the same thing over and over and over again. Well, on the bright side, Tucker Carlson returned to television last night, yesterday. He... uh, put out a video. He, oh, no, he's not on Fox, of course. But he put out a video. It had over 16 million viewers, 255,000 likes. He was on Twitter, like he said he was going to do. That is far more eyes watching him than he used to draw while he was on Fox. Let me give you a perspective on this. Um, on Fox, Tucker was the the number one program, not only on Fox, but on all cable news television. That meant that he consistently drew, it it depended on the day and and circumstances and probably the subject he was talking about or whatever, but he would draw between three and six million viewers every day when he was on Fox. And he was, as I said, their number one uh, program and the number one program in all of cable news and cable television uh, that has to do with news, commentary, and that kind of thing. And uh, most network, like ABC, NBC, CBS, that kind of thing, those programs that you see on there day in and day out, if if you watch it, I don't really watch it, but I I know they're on. I pay attention to them because of this program. Otherwise, I wouldn't even bother because it's just a bunch of nonsense for the most part. But anyway, those programs get about four to six million viewers. And if they get that many... They're considered successful, and they usually stay on the air for a period of time. Obviously, there are programs like the Super Bowl, and and some of the others are an anomaly, and they run up you know millions of, of viewers. But day to day television watching, what you see on the network is generally running between four and six, maybe seven million viewers, and that keeps them on TV. That means they're quote unquote successful. So when you when you see that Tucker Carlson had 16 million views, and that was just as last night. I mean, it's, it's probably more by now. That is that is so telling that America is just starved for the truth. And they're following him, and his numbers are beyond their expectations. I'm glad for him. I don't agree with everything Tucker Carlson says. My wife doesn't probably agree with everything I say. In fact, 
that's life. But he has a following. I appreciate what he does and what he says, and I appreciate his, where he's coming from on most issues. And um, I'm not the only one. Neither are you, if you, uh, if you follow him at all. In the wake of uh, the public backlash to Target's Pride Collection, the giant retailer has now lost more than $13 billion in market value. Fox Business and a couple of others, J.P. Morgan and some others, are out there saying, well, this is just a, a correction in their value and blah, blah, blah. And they're going on about how that the, we're still feeling some of the effects of the pandemic and on and on and on. I don't believe that for a moment. I believe that America has stiff-armed Target and they've said, enough, get off my back. I'm not going to play ball with you anymore. I don't care how big you are and how good your stuff is and I don't care how cheap it is. I'm going to take a break from you. I think that's what's happening. I really do. I hope it is, but I believe that it is. Their stock fell by another 2.03%. Just on just Monday of this week, it's continuing to tank, and they're they're in panic mode. I can tell you from what I've read, and um, I think people of faith, people of common sense, are being heard at least by somebody somewhere at Target because they're scrambling. They're trying to be just like all of you guys. They're, we're just normal people. We're just good old boys or whatever. They're doing everything possible, but it, I think it's too late, at least for the moment. I don't know what will happen in the future, and people may get over it and go to Target. Target's a good store. It has lots of good stuff. But they just pushed it too far, and they pushed it in the face of America, and America isn't buying that stuff. What Target and others, and they're not the only one, Budweiser, beer, and all that, they think that Americans are think like some of their people do. And we don't. We're ordinary, God-fearing family people. and I mean, they just don't get it. But they're starting to get it now. Because a dip in sales is one thing. A $13 billion loss in value is something different. Como News had a story yesterday. Superior Court in Santa Clara County in California, they ordered a church to pay over a million dollars in fines for operating indoor worship services during the pandemic, but uh, but not enforcing and not enforcing their parishioners to wear masks or social distance. This Judge Yvette Pennypacker, she issued the ruling on Friday this last Friday, uh, and this goes back into the pandemic. But she issued this on Friday, this past Friday. She called the conduct of San Jose's Calvary Chapel Church egregious. And she ordered it to pay $1,228,700 in administrative fines. The ruling is the latest development in a years-long battle between the two parties. As I said, it's been going on since the, since the um, pandemic. She put out this statement It should be clear to all, regardless of religious affiliation, that wearing a mask while worshiping one's God, small g, one's God, and communing with other congregants is simple, unobtrusive, giving way to protect others while still exercising your right to religious freedom. A statement from the County of Santa Clara's Office of Communications and Public Affairs says, and she quotes, unfortunately defendants repeatedly refused 
to model, much less enforce this gesture. Instead, they repeatedly flouted their refusal to comply with the public health orders and urged others to do so. Who cares what the cost, including death? That's the government's position, at least in this case, and I think that generally uh, tells us where government is coming from regarding religious freedom. And that's what this is all about. It's interesting. We'll see how this plays out. It's now bubbling to the top, and we'll see what needs to happen on this. We'll keep you updated. I'm going to follow it very closely. The um, the uh, church that's, this is the, the Calvary Chapel in San Jose is, is a very, very large church. And they're very active and they're proactive on issues and they're not liked by the left for sure because they the pastor does speak out on the issues of our day, the, the social issues and so on. So we'll see where this goes. But boy, a million, a million, 228,000 finding a church. Who, whoever thought we'd see that? Never thought I'd see that uh, come to pass in my lifetime, I'll tell you. The New York Times is reporting that Oklahoma approved what would be the nation's first religious charter school on Monday. I think this is, again, a reaction to what's happening in our culture. Handling a victory to Christian conservatives, but it opens the door, the New York Times says, to a constitutional battle over whether taxpayer dollars can directly fund religious schools. Well, they have determined that that can't happen. And you know that because Thomas Jefferson said so. Well, I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about that today. The Times says the online school, this St. Isidore of Seville Catholic Virtual School, is to be run by the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Oklahoma City and of the Diocese of, T- of Tulsa. And it will have religious teachings embedded in the curriculum. But as a charter school, a type of public school that's independently managed, it would be funded, and it would, by taxpayer dollars by default. In other words, they their tax money would be going to the school. After nearly a three-hour meeting, despite concerns raised by its legal counsel, the Oklahoma Statewide Virtual Charter Board approved the school in a three-to-two vote, including a yes vote from a member who was appointed on Friday, the Times says. They point that out because they want to undermine this right from the get-go. The relatively obscure board, the Times says, is made up of appointees by Governor Kevin Stitt, a Republican who supports religious charter schools and leaders of the Republican-controlled state legislature. The decision sets the stage for this high-profile legal fight over the barrier of the wall between the wall, quote-unquote, between the church and state in education at a time when other aspects of public education are being challenged, while the other is Parents are saying, give me my children back. There is a war over children, and who owns them? Whose child is it? Does does your child belong to the government, or does it belong to you? Do they belong to you? The Times says Republican lawmakers, including in Oklahoma, have increasingly pushed for alternatives to public schools. Well, of course we have. They're not educating them. They're indoctrinating them such as vouchers, tax credits, which offer subsidies to parents to help pay for private tuition, often at religious schools. The church body making the application says its goal is to educate the entire child, this this Catholic group. They say they want to educate their entire child, soul, heart, intellect, and body. 
The school's first application was rejected by the governing board, but the governing board told them if they would come back with a new application with some things corrected, uh, they would take another look at it, which they did, and as I said, they approved it. This Republican governor there is pretty outspoken about his faith and about Christian principles, this Kevin Stitt, and uh, he shows up in, in the news quite often. He he's, seems to be pretty predictably uh, Christian in his views. I don't know what his faith is or whatever, but I would assume he might be a man of faith. But he's pretty outspoken about some of the issues that have to do with religious freedom and and policies and, and principles and so on. But he celebrated the school's approval. He said, quote, a, it's a win for religious liberty and education freedom in our state. Oklahomans support religious liberty for all and support an increasingly innovative educational system that expands choice. It's interesting that the conservatives have to push the idea of choice when the left has lived on that hill for the last 20 years. Choice, choice, everything's choice. We Women have a right, to choice. But when it comes to anything other than abortion, no choice. The government knows better. It's extremely disappointing that board members violated their oath in order to fund religious schools with our tax dollars, says the Oklahoma Attorney General. His name is Gentner. I think that's how you pronounce his name. It's G-E-N-T-N-E-R. Drummond. I've heard that name Drummond. I mean, has everybody heard of the Pioneer Woman and her TV show and cooking? I mean, is he part of that family? I don't know. But anyway, his name is Drummond. He's not very happy about this. He said it's extremely disappointing that board members violated their oath. In doing so, these members have exposed themselves and the state to potential legal action that could be costly. And, of course, Americans United for Separation of Church and State have jumped into the deep end on this. But is it, they say, take all possible legal, they're going to take all possible legal action to fight this decision and de- defend the separation of church and state that's promised in both the Oklahoma and U.S. constitutions? Is it really promised in the U.S. Constitution? The notion of separation of church and state has taken on a very different tone than the letter that Thomas Jefferson received from the Danbury Baptist Association on October 7, 1801, and the letter that they received from him on January 1, 1802. Jefferson actually borrowed his separation phrase from Roger Williams, a London pastor who greatly influenced the colonies in favor of religious liberty. He talked about it a lot. He was a powerful speaker. Is separation of church and state in the Constitution at all? David Barton is one of the best-informed biblical historians in America. He says this about separation. Let me quote him. He said, Thomas Jefferson had worked very hard to separate the Anglican church from the government in his home state of Virginia so that all other denominations could practice their faith without government penalty or persecution. Jefferson contributed to ending government-run religion in his state, so when he became president of the United States, the Baptists and those from other denominations were his strong supporters because he had fought for their freedom of religion, for their right to be free from state control in matters of faith. 
Martin says the Danbury Baptist wrote Thomas Jefferson expressing their concern that the government might try to relegate and regulate their religious expression. In response, Jefferson wrote his now famous letter using the phrase separation of church and state to reassure the Danbury Baptist that the First Amendment prohibited the government from trying to control religious expression. In short, the First Amendment was intended to keep the government out of regulating religion, but it did not keep religion out of the government or the public square. Today, people believe that the separation of church and state is in the First Amendment of the Constitution. I've mentioned this probably a hundred times on this program. It isn't. But in the First Amendment, the Constitution says Congress shall make no law. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. The famous separation phrase appears nowhere in that amendment or in the Constitution. So we must ask the question, how does a student praying over his lunch, for example, mean the same thing as Congress making a law? Well, the answer to that is it doesn't. The First Amendment meant Congress is limited from setting up a national denomination like they had in England, and Congress is limited from prohibiting the first the free exercise of religion. The First Amendment does not limit faith or the people. Only It limits only the government. And everybody knew that for 150 years until the leftists got a hold of it and t- lifted a few words out of a letter that was intended to assure citizens of the United States that the government is not going to involve itself and insert itself into your religious practices. And then here we are today. Calvary Chapel in San Jose, $1.2 million because they didn't do what the government told them to do. The First Amendment was created by America's founding fathers because of their desire to avoid something like the government-run church in England. In fact, it was not just the government of England they longed to be different from, but they also were striving to be different from the way that churches and government had operated across most of Europe for the previous thousand years. The pilgrims, the Puritans, and others who settled in America, they, they wanted to return to God's original plan which was separating the church from government control. That's God's plan. That's God's will. The long-standing American desire and practice of freedom of religion was specifically written in the First Amendment. It's only been in recent years that faith has been excluded from public schools and governmental venues and the public square. Don't let the left mislead you. This isn't about the Constitution. It's about pushing their agenda. It is destructive. Look at Seattle and Portland and San Francisco and others. It is destructive to the culture. It is destructive to the young minds that they have penetrated in so-called public education. In 1947, when the Supreme Court quoted only one phrase from Jefferson's short 1801 letter to the Danbury Baptists, the court claimed that there was to be Quote, a wall of separation between church and state. Eight words they lifted from what Thomas Jefferson really said. That is a profile of leftist ideology. They pick a few words out of context 
and create a right that they say is found in the Constitution. It isn't. Hey, thanks for being with me today. It's always a pleasure and a privilege to spend a few moments with you, and thank you for your support. We need it. We need you to stand with us financially. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. I'll see you right here tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.